0: hope there was only one take of that video. You know, if you had to do two or three, that would be a little dicey. Uh, Welcome, everybody, to Eagle Brook Church. It's really good to have you with us today. Uh, We have a special guest speaker with us. His name is John Dickerson. And John Dickerson is the pastor at Connection Point Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. And years ago, someone told me about John. And he has a very unique story. He started as a journalist He actually won an award, it's the most prestigious award given to a journalist at the youngest age that anybody had ever won it. But John came to this point where he believed he could impact the world more as a pastor than he could as a journalist. After seeing all of the heartache and evil in our world, he said, You know what? I want to be a pastor to help reach people for Christ. And so he became a senior pastor, and he is, I think, one of the most gifted communicators around. Uh, For the last several years, I've been watching him speak, and every time he speaks, his message just hits me in a profound way, engages my head, it hits me in my heart. And so we're so fortunate to have him speaking this weekend. John is the author of a book called I Am Strong. And if you want to pick this book up, I, you can, I would r- highly recommend it. He's going to be speaking from this content today. And so would you join me in welcoming John Dickerson?
1: Well, as Jason mentioned, when I was 27, I walked away from my career as a journalist, and I started pastoring a massive church of 40 people. 40 people, and I had no idea what I was doing, so I started looking online for examples of speakers I wanted to be like, churches that I hoped to emulate, and I found this church in Minnesota called Eagle Brook. And I started every week watching these two communicators, Bob and Jason, two of the most gifted communicators of our time, and I kept praying and saying, God, if someday I could be half as good as those guys. So I hope you guys know how good you have it here. Don't take it for granted that you have such world-class communicators of God's heart here at Eagle Brook. Well, it's been a lot of fun driving around Minnesota because I grew up in Michigan, and where I grew up, the trees looked the same. We had lots of lakes, and so I'm having all these flashback memories as I drive around Minnesota. In fact, yesterday I was reminded of this story that happened when I was 15 years old. I was you know, a scrawny, lanky 15-year-old, and I was working a summer job as a janitor. And a bunch of my buddies, we were also janitors, you know, we're changing trash bags and waxing floors. And it was July. It was one of those years where winter had gone on and on and on. You guys know what I'm talking about? And it was finally summer. We were so excited and we had a little work break. So we decided for fun that we'd all get our super soakers. You know what a super soaker is? like a giant squirt gun. And we decided because our buddy Donnie had just gotten this old Oldsmobile sedan We decided we were gonna drive around town and do some super soaker drive-bys. This seemed like such a great idea to our 15 and 16-year-old minds. So there were four of us in the back seat of the car, three across the front seat, and we're driving around. And for the most part, we're hitting mailboxes or cars that have their windows up. But our buddy Nate, Nate was sitting in the shotgun seat. He had this massive super soaker. I mean, he'd pump it up and it would shoot like a fire department quantity of water. And Nate kept aiming for people who had their windows down. And we kept being like, Nate, I don't know if this is going to end well. But, you know, he was 16. He didn't care. So we end up, we're at this uh, traffic intersection. and We're kind of stuck in traffic. But up ahead of us on the right, about three cars ahead, is this Chevy Monte Carlo. I mean, it's lowered. It's got rims. The base is thumping. You can tell, like, there's a pretty tough guy in that car, probably. But the window's down. And Nate looks up, and he kind of scopes it out, and we're all watching Nate, and we hear him make this kind of animalistic grunting noise. He's like, ha, ha, ha. And we watch in almost slow motion as this giant blast of water goes, and it goes straight into the window, all over the dashboard of this Monte Carlo. Next thing we see, the guy slams it in reverse. We just see smoke coming off the tires. (laughs) The guy floors it in reverse, comes right back to us, jumps out of his car, and it's at this moment that Nate realizes that power window on Donnie's Oldsmobile, that power window doesn't work. <laughs> so Nate is with both hands fiddling with the power window, trying to get it to go up as this big dude starts coming at him, and it's at this moment that Nate realizes, you know, it's like, ee- And so you have permission to laugh at Nate because he survived what I'm about to describe. But in the moment, oh my goodness, this big dude comes up to the car. He literally just leans on the roof of the car and just starts punching Nate in the face. We're stuck in traffic. And so Donnie, the driver, he's just like this. (laughs) Finally, the traffic in front of us clears out and all of us in the backseat, we're like, Donnie, go, go, go. Donnie floors it. We get out of there. We all survived. But, you know, summer in the Midwest. What can you do? Summer in the Midwest. Great, great memories. And you know, that was one of those days where we had a plan and it did not go quite as we expected it to go. And and that's actually the tension in the passage of scripture we're going to look at today. We're in this series, The Four Wills of God. And there's a passage here in 1 Thessalonians 5 that says this. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, it's a, it's a beautiful verse. It's a wonderful verse. But what about the times when your circumstances aren't what you hoped they would be? What about the times when your circumstances go way different than you thought they would go, and it's not something that you can laugh about? You know, as I prayed for you all, and as I asked God, God, what do you want me to speak on to this beautiful church in Minnesota? And as Jason shared this passage with me, God really led my heart To those of you who right now, your life isn't going the way you had hoped in some area. Maybe it's with your health. Maybe it's with a relationship. Maybe it's with your career. But there's something in your life where your circumstances aren't what you would choose. And so you see this verse, and maybe you're like me. I've had times in my life where I say, okay, I I get it. (laughs) Give thanks in all circumstances. It's very clear. But how could I possibly give thanks in these circumstances? If that's where you are today, this message is for you. I remember a time in my life when my wife and I, our circumstances were so devastating and difficult that we weren't even just trying to figure out how to give thanks. We were just trying to figure out how to survive. It was in 2008, my wife and I, we'd been married for about a year, and we were so young. We were just figuring out our marriage, figuring out life together, and that's when she whispered to me. She said, John, I'm pregnant. And at first I was so afraid, but then as the weeks went on and we started to just think about, wow, we actually created a life together. And all of a sudden we just got so excited. There was so much optimism. There was so much joy and life just started to make sense. And, and we were just so excited to meet this little one who was forming in my wife's womb. And then one day I was at my office at the newspaper where I was working and Mel called, and she said, uh, John, something's not right. I, I'm having severe pains and cramps. I, I think something's wrong. Can you come home? And so I rushed to my car, and I started driving home. And as I was driving home, I was praying for strength, praying for healing, and I was, I was even just deciding, you know, emotionally, I'm going to be a rock for my wife. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, I'm just going to be stable and steady so she can rely on me as we go through whatever's going to happen with this pregnancy. Well, I got home and Mel was just balled up on the couch in severe pain. We ended up being at the hospital later and in time, that little life left her body. And as we're both grieving what that meant and just these emotions that we'd never experienced before, the whole time I was with Mel, I was so set on staying strong and being really a rock that she could depend on, but then there was this moment where I was alone in a bathroom And all of a sudden, I mean, I'm not like a Hallmark movie crier. I don't typically cry. But all of a sudden, these just waves of tears hit me. I mean, I was just sobbing. I've never cried like that before in my life. And in that moment, I was just so broken. And Mel was so broken. This dream was broken. We were feeling pain like we'd never felt before. And in that moment, we still believed in God. And we knew that God was for us. But we were like, how in the world... Do we make it through this, let alone if you're going through something like that? How do you give thanks when your life just goes so differently than what you had planned? Here's the question we're wrestling with today. What can you do when your circumstances seem hopeless? Live long enough in this fallen world, and whether it's sickness or relationships or income and economy or job. You'll have situations in your life where your circumstances seem hopeless. And when you find yourself in that situation, what can you do? Well, I'd love to share with you today God's answer to this question. It's an answer that I've gotten to live out in my life through all sorts of different kinds of suffering. And it's an answer that comes from a writer who knows suffering. Paul, the apostle had a physical thorn in the flesh And so whatever you're going through, not only can God relate to it through Jesus, but this author of scripture, Paul, he knew suffering like we do. And here's what he says in Romans 8. It starts off, he says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Did you know that the moment you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, the moment you call out to God, you actually get adopted into God's family? And once you're adopted into God's family, you can't get back out. He doesn't unadopt his kids. And here's what's amazing, as one of God's children, scripture says, God promises that you are an heir. Now what does that mean? That means that you have an inheritance. Maybe you don't have an inheritance from your earthly family, I don't, but the moment you trust in Christ, you get a spiritual and an eternal inheritance. And this is actually a physical inheritance. I mean, Jesus, look at this, it says you're an heir of God, And you're a co-heir with Christ. So when you drive around Minnesota or Minneapolis and you look at real estate, did you know all of that belongs to you? You can drive around, you can pick out any house you want, and you can say, God, in kingdom come, that's the house I want. And guess what? Jesus owns it all, and you are going to physically be a co-heir with him. Now here's the thing about children who are heirs. When a child is, let's say, six years old or 12 years old, and that child is an inheritor of millions of dollars, they don't get a checkbook when they're in elementary school. Typically, they have to wait a while before they take possession of their inheritance. I actually saw this firsthand. When I was in college, I had a buddy who was an inheritor of $20 million. Tough life for this guy, right? Just a really tough life to be an inheritor of $20 million, A lot of, of, anyhow, here's how his parents had set it up. He wouldn't get access to any of that money until his 25th birthday. So as we went through college, he had to eat ramen noodles like the rest of us. He had bad hair days like the rest of us. He had his heart broken by girlfriends like the rest of us. He was an inheritor, but he hadn't yet taken full possession of his inheritance. And so he still had troubles, but he always knew that if he could make it to age 25, then he'd be set for life. And here's the thing. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble because we live in a world that's broken by sin. But as followers of Jesus, we live knowing this. If I can make it through this world, if I can follow Jesus through this world, if I can cling to my faith through the trials and troubles of this world, there's an inheritance waiting for me. And guess what? Your inheritance is 20 million dollars. Your inheritance is far more than that. What we're learning today is this idea that as followers of Christ, we're already heirs, but we've not yet taken hold of our inheritance. Or you could put it this way that we're already children of God, but we're not yet to our home in heaven. Here's a picture of my youngest daughter, Evie. Uh, we adopted Evie, she was born in Haiti. And with Evie, I have learned this idea of being a child, but not yet being home. Because you see, we started adopting Evie when she was one week old. But because of international back and forth between Haiti and the United States, her adoption process took three years. And so for three years, my wife and I were making trips back and forth. We're investing tens of thousands of dollars. We're on this emotional roller coaster of ups and downs. And for those three years, Evie was our daughter, but she wasn't yet home. So she was living in an orphanage that by our standards in America would be very rough conditions. I mean, walking around barefoot on dirt ground, cinder block walls, razor wire at the top to keep bad guys out of the orphanage. Orphanage didn't have running water. The orphanage by our standards was very rough conditions. And for three years, that was all that Evie knew, even though her destiny and her future was to be part of our family and to live now. I look at the life she lives now when we go on vacation and she's running around with her brother and sister. She was already our child, but she was not yet home. And here's the thing when you suffer in this world. As a follower of Christ, you can remind yourself this. My rescue is already started. I'm already a child of God. I'm already an inheritor. I'm already a citizen of God's kingdom, but it's not yet completed. I'm not yet home in heaven, and so when I go through suffering, it doesn't mean that God's unfaithful. It doesn't mean that God's mad at me. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned me. All it means is I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. And so When you can't give thanks for your circumstances, you can still give thanks in your circumstances because you know your circumstances are not permanent. Does that make sense? When you can't give thanks for what you're going through, you can give thanks for what you're going to. You're a child of God. You're an heir of an eternal fortune. And not only that, God's gonna sustain you through this world. Look at this passage as it continues. Verse 18, Paul writes this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings, and it's interesting to me that that word sufferings is plural. In other words, if you took all the pain in your life and all the pain in my life, and all our pain collectively as a a church of thousands of people, all our sufferings, you add them all up together. And if you were to put them on one side of the scale, would our sufferings outweigh what heaven's going to be like, what life with Christ is like? And here's what Paul says. Our present sufferings, they're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, 50, 60 years from now, when we look back on our time in earth, we're not going to say, oh, those sufferings were so terrible, but heaven's kind of worth it. No, what our glory will be like with Christ is so much greater that we'll look back and say, there's even there's no comparison. When I was in it, it seemed impossible. When I was in it, it seemed unbearable. But now what I have in heaven is so worth it. Let me just explain a couple things here, because when I read this verse, you know that word glory, it's kind of a churchy word, isn't it? You don't hear that word out and about these days. What does God mean when he says that we're going to have glory? Well, really, this is the idea of wonder and of pleasure, of ecstasy and joy. You realize that heaven is, is not like, a, you know those precious moments figurines, Sometimes we have this idea that heaven's going to be so boring, so we better live it up while we're on earth. Not at all. You know that the God who made every pleasure you've ever had, every sunset, every smile, every hug, anything good in this life comes down from God. And that same God, when we are with him apart from sin or evil, we are going to experience ecstasy and joy and wonder and pleasure like never before. Heaven is not going to be boring. And here's what's amazing, this glory that we're going to experience that you are destined for as a follower of Jesus, it's not just going to be revealed to you. I used to read this verse and I would fill in this word in with the word to, like almost like we're going to be in a sports stadium and God will be down in the middle and we'll all be like, whoa, this is such a great movie. It's glory is being revealed to us and that's part of it. But actually what God's word says is his glory is going to be revealed in us. In other words, you're going to wake up in a body that never gets sick, a body that has no tear ducts because you're never going to cry. You're going to live in a mansion that doesn't have locks on the doors because there's no crime. We're going to live in a city where there's no hospital because there's no sickness. There's no divorce court because there's no broken relationships. There's no graveyard because there's no death. And God's glory, he says, will be revealed not only to us, but actually in us. And we will experience what we were designed and created to experience. As a follower of Jesus, it begins in this life. You don't have to wait till heaven to start experiencing this. But once we get there, we're going to fully experience it. And here's what I've learned in my life. When I have kind of a, what I would call a low level suffering, you know, my job's not going like I'd like, or my wife and I are in a fight, I can place my hope in my circumstances getting better. But when I'm going through a really deep suffering, I'm in the hospital, or things are just hopeless, then I need to cling to something bigger than just, I hope I'll feel better in a few minutes. I need to know that my pain is not my destiny or my destination. It's something I'm passing through on my way to heaven. And when you can't give thanks for what you're going through, give thanks for what you're going to. Two promises I'd love to share with you from this passage in Romans 8, and the first is this. Christ will rescue you out of your suffering. This is a promise. You don't have to wonder, will my suffering end? Will I make it through this? This is a promise. Christ will rescue you if you've placed your faith in him. If you haven't yet, you can call out to him today, Jesus, I wanna be saved. I wanna be part of your family. He promises he'll rescue you out of your suffering. This is not the end for you. This world and the pain we experience in it, this is the worst it will ever get for you in all of eternity. This life is the closest to hell you'll ever get. This is the worst it ever gets. So in the low times of this life, you just cling to that and you remind yourself, you know what, Christ is gonna rescue me out of this. This is not the end for me. When I think of unbearable suffering, I think of the true story of a guy named Louis Zamperini. Maybe you've heard about Louis Zamperini. There was a movie and a book written about him called Unbroken. Louis was an Olympic athlete right before World War II, young, fit, and he had all these dreams about competing in future Olympics when World War II broke out. Well, Louis was flying in an American aircraft. It got shot down over the Pacific Ocean, and Louis ended up spending three years as a prisoner of war in a brutal Japanese prison camp. This was a prison camp where the guards were sadistic, and they would beat the prisoners like Louis. This was a prison camp where, as the war dragged on, it was running out of food, and so the the prisoners, they were literally starving to death. I have a picture at home that I didn't bring, because I'm a guest speaker, and I thought it might gross you guys out, and I might not be allowed to come back ever, but I have this picture of these real prisoners of war from World War II, right when the war ended, and they were delivered out of those camps, and you can see all the ribs. I mean, they're so starving. They're so emaciated, and this was what Louis was enduring, but what's fascinating about Louis is this. He couldn't fix his hope on the prison getting better. He couldn't fix his hope on maybe the food will get better. Maybe the guards will get nicer. And when we go through low-level sufferings, a lot of times we just fix our hope on, you know, maybe I'll get miraculously healed. And by the way, God can do that. I've seen that in my life, and you can pray for that, and that's a great thing. A lot of times God does intervene in our circumstances, but in the times when we don't get that answer to prayer right away, we can fix our hope on something higher, and here's what it was for Louis. As he walked around that prison yard, his hope wasn't that the guards would suddenly turn nice. His hope was that the United States would win and that someday he'd see American airplanes flying overhead. These B-29 Superfortress airplanes, this is what Louis was hoping for. And so even though he was in the prison and he was beaten down and he was starving to death, anytime he walked in that prison yard, his eyes were scanning the horizon He was looking up, hoping to see the sun glint off the polished aluminum hull of one of these planes. Or hoping to hear with his ears the roar of those giant rotary aircraft engines. And one day, sure enough, right when he thought he couldn't make it any longer, he sees the sun glinting off one of these planes. He hears the roar of the engines and he knows the United States Army is close. And it gives him just enough to keep hanging in there. I'm going to be rescued I'm going to be delivered. Today might be tough, but if I can make it to tomorrow, I'm going to be rescued. And do you you know when you go through the hardest times in this life, you have just as real of a hope. You will be rescued. You will be delivered. There's this fascinating part in Louis' story when the war had ended, Japan had been defeated, but the prisoners hadn't been released from the camps yet. And so these planes, the American planes started flying over and they would drop down supplies. Food and water and even magazines and chocolate bars. And so those inmates, even in their suffering, they started to be sustained. And do you know this? While you wait for your rescue from heaven, God will sustain you in this world. Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. Today God's gonna give you what you need. You know what? God brought you here today. God has you watching this today because this is what you need today. And your God, he's already in the future. He's not limited by time. Tomorrow, he's gonna give you what you need. He will drop down the supplies in this earth. He will sustain you through your deepest suffering. And as you keep saying, God, I trust in you. I cling to you. I hope in you. Not only will he sustain you, he'll eventually strengthen you and use you to help others. It's because of the sufferings I've been through both emotional and physical with a a sickness I don't have time to describe today. But it's because of that that now I get to comfort thousands of other people. And if I could go back in time and change my sufferings, I wouldn't. Because there's such purpose and fulfillment in helping others who are suffering. And here's my point. God will sustain you. He will strengthen you. He will use you. He's not the author of evil or pain. But when you give him your pain, He can turn it for good. He's a redeemer. He works all things for good. And as you believe in him, in time, he will rescue you. I just love this verse when I think about Louis Zamperini looking up at the clouds. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10. He has delivered us. Christ has delivered us from such a deadly peril. What's the deadly peril? It's the reality that all our bodies are going to die in the next 50 or 60 years or less for some of us. But we that's not the end for us. We've already been delivered from that. We have an eternal life in Christ. Not only has he done that, but he will deliver us. What you're going through today, he will deliver you from it. This is past. This is present. This is future. This deliverance is all-encompassing. And so it says this, on him we've set our hope. Do you know that when you can't control your circumstances, you can still control your hope? You can decide what you set your hope on. And when there's nothing in your circumstances that you can hope for, there's no human thing that's realistic to hope for, you set your hope that Christ will continue to deliver you. And I'm here as living proof that he will. He is faithful. He who began the good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. He doesn't leave his projects half finished. God will never abandon you in your suffering. Set your hope on him. Hebrews 10 puts it this way. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. What's that hope? It's Christ. It's the power of Christ, not just as some churchy word, but that your creator became a human, and he took upon himself pain sensors like yours and tear ducts like yours, and he's felt our rejection. He's felt our pain. He's felt our physical suffering, and we profess this hope that he came and he endured our pain so that he could deliver us out of our pain. This is the hope of Jesus, and he who promised is faithful. God keeps his promises. God promises you, you will be rescued out of what you're going through. Cling on to that promise. He will deliver you. Well, there's a second promise here, and it's that Christ will give you a glory. That is your future state, both in this life and in eternal life, that will surpass your sufferings. Here's what I mean by this. I told you earlier about my daughter, Evie. And for the first, first three years of her life, how she lived in an orphanage. And you know, every time my wife and I would go visit the orphanage, it was, it was always heartbreaking to leave without her. And it was always heartbreaking because we'd see that like a lot of orphanages, there were these older kids, kind of bully kids. And, and they would take her food or they would take her toys. And her life there was difficult. But her citizenship was already destined that she'd be an American citizen someday and she'd live a life apart from that orphanage. Philippians 3 puts it this way, our citizenship is in heaven. And so, you know, sometimes life on earth is pretty good and we can forget about that. But when life on earth gets hard, we remind ourselves, this this earth is not my ultimate home. I'm passing through here and we eagerly await our Savior From there. Can you start to experience heaven now? Absolutely. When you trust Christ in your suffering, you start to experience heaven now, and you get these little glimpses of what the glory is going to be like when we get there. Here's a picture of Evie when she was on the airplane out of Haiti. Obviously, her first time on an airplane, she fell asleep on my wife Mel's lap. Then we got to the Atlanta airport, and we started walking to U.S. Customs and Immigration. And as me and Evie are walking to U.S. Customs and Immigration to get her little passport stamped, she feels carpet for the first time in her life. She feels air conditioning for the first time in her life. She sees running water coming out of a sink for the first time in her life. She sees a drinking fountain for the first time in her life. Now, before she had landed in Atlanta, if I had tried to describe those things to her at the orphanage, she couldn't have understood what they were until she experienced it, and this is how the glory of eternal life with Christ will be. I can try my best to describe it here, but ultimately you grasp it with the hands of faith that, you know what, it's just going to be way better than I could describe. It's going to be so much better than I could describe. I want to tell you a story that summarizes some of this. It's a time when my wife was laying in a hospital bed And she was shrieking in agony. You know, as a journalist and reporter, I had documented a lot of human suffering. But I'd never seen someone who I love suffering so intensely. And I watched her crying in agony. She had this condition. She had a thing called a parasite. You know what a parasite is? It's, It's something that feeds on its human host. And listen closely, because this parasite had been feeding on my wife for nine months. This parasite was our oldest son, Jack. And that's right, you know, he was feeding off of her for nine months, and Mel had decided she wanted to have an all-natural birth, no epidural, no pain medication. By the way, she changed her mind on that for our our next biological child, but but in this time, she had decided no epidural, no pain medication, and and as I watched Mel in birth, I have never seen someone in so much pain, someone who I love, And, and... I started to realize a few things. First, I realized this. There is no doubt about it. Women are stronger than men. Okay? That is settled. Childbirth settles it. Women are the stronger species. Okay? And now, you can make fun of me for this next part, but I do want to say that for us guys, childbirth, if we're right there, it's also traumatic for us. Okay? I was traumatized. I had no idea how disgusting it was gonna be. No idea. You know, I have three older brothers and they never tell me this stuff. I always am calling or texting them like, why didn't you tell me? It's so like a horror movie in there. I mean, it's just disgusting. So I'm hearing Mel go through this excruciating pain. I remember this moment when I, I, I see the, the little head and it's all wrinkled, it's like jello-like, it's weird colors, and I looked at the nurse and the doctor and I was like, is this a human? Is this okay? I really thought something was wrong. So just so you guys know, first time dads, be warned. It's a little creepy when, you know, when the child first comes out, okay? Here's the thing, you know, we got home and, and Mel said, oh, that was so terrible, I don't ever wanna do that again. I said, yeah, I agree, let's never do that again. So you can imagine my surprise about two years later when Mel whispers in my ear, I think I'm ready for another one. And I remember the moment because I thought exactly these words. I thought, why would a smart, educated woman who has endured this agony, why would she willingly invite that back upon herself? Why would she... And here's the answer why, and don't miss this, because this is really the point of our whole time in God's Word today. The lifelong joy of a child, it doesn't just make up for the pain of childbirth. It's not just like, well, they equal out in the end. The lifelong joy of a child, it eclipses the suffering of childbirth. Now, does that make light of or demean the suffering of childbirth? I hope I've made it clear that it does not. And yet, as intense and real as that suffering is, the lifelong joy of a child eclipses it. This is why there are families with more than one child. And here's what God says, what you're going through, he doesn't demean it. He doesn't diminish it when you're suffering, when you're agonizing, when you're in excruciating pain in your soul and you don't think you can make it. He's not a God who says, oh, toughen up. It's no big deal. He gets it that it's that hard. But here's what he promises you. The eternal joy that you're going to have in the presence of Christ, it doesn't just make up for what you go through in this world. It eclipses it. It's more than worth it. Jesus actually used this same metaphor of childbirth. He says this in John 16. He says, followers of me, followers of Christ, you will grieve in this world. This world's still broken by sin. We weren't meant to have cancer. We weren't meant to be broken in our relationships. We weren't meant to go to funerals. We weren't designed for that. And in this world, we will grieve. But Jesus gives you a promise. He says this, your grief will turn to joy. Your grief will turn to joy. And then Jesus, he uses this. He says, A woman giving birth to a child, you know, she's in grieving and in pain because her time has come. And he says this, but when her baby is born, in that moment, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child's come into the world. And then Jesus makes you this promise. He says this to you, so it is with you. Right now are the birth pains. Right now is the hard time. Right now is the difficulty. But Jesus promises. He says, I will see you again. And you will rejoice. And no one will take your joy away. You know, in this life, in this world, our joy comes and it goes. we get the promotion or the relationship or the house and it's joyful, but then something else happens. And he says, I'm taking you to a place when you're face to face with me that your joy will never recede. It will never go back down. I'm gonna give you a joy that no one can ever take away from you. You know, I'll never forget the swing of emotions in that delivery room. After I saw my wife agonizing in the most severe pain of her life and after I'm sitting there panicking, And then this little boy comes out. And I clip the umbilical cord and the doctor takes this little boy and he sets our son Jack on my wife Mel's chest. And I just saw this flip from grief to joy. When in that moment, after the most excruciating pain of her life, she starts crying these tears of joy. She starts praying for this little baby and the man that he's gonna become and all of a sudden we go from the deepest pain to the highest ecstasy. I mean, just this swing of emotions. And God says this to you, joy is your destiny. Joy is your destination. Keep believing in Christ and you'll get glimpses of it now even in your suffering. But when your suffering seems unbearable, remind yourself, when I can't give thanks for what I'm going through, I can give thanks for what I'm going to because he who promised is faithful. I'd love to pray that for you right now. Father, every one of us listening, you see into our hearts. You see the deep broken parts of us that nobody else sees. And God, I just thank you that you are a compassionate God. You say in your word that you're near to the brokenhearted. You uphold those who are crushed in spirit. And God, I know there's people listening to this message right now, and they just needed this today. They just needed to know that you're with them. They needed to know that you're for them. Holy Spirit, would you just minister to their hearts? And God, would you help our unbelief? Would you strengthen our faith? Would you help us to call out to you in this life and experience your joy, little bits of heaven here on earth? And God, when we can't give thanks for our circumstances, Would you give us the faith to give thanks in our circumstances, knowing that we will be delivered, we will be sustained, and that we have a future of glory so incredible. We can't even understand it now, but it will eclipse the temporary sufferings of this life. We believe this by faith. Help us to experience it this week, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey guys, thanks for letting me hang out with you. See you next week.